Okay. So to start off, uh, this is the definition of a glacier. So um, a glacier is a mass of ice on land. So that's key thing. It's on land. It is formed from the compaction of recrystallized snow and it has moved or is currently moving under the influence of gravity. So if you have never lived in a northern climate or experienced snow, this all may be very foreign to you if you're like an El Paso native. So um, make sure and ask me questions and um, yeah, anything is unclear, just let me know. And if I'm flipping too fast and you're writing stuff down, let me know because I can slow down. All right, so this is a picture, an old picture of a glacier. And what you're gonna see today when you look at these maps, you have three different maps that you're gonna use in the lab and they all have um, either current glaciers or um, glacial features. So glaciers from the past that are no longer present. And you can see here that uh, the glacier is actually located in this valley. So they carve out a U-shaped valley and you have the snow line sitting back up here and then as you come down, there are these big, large cracks that are referred to as crevasses, uh, formally. And then once the glacier starts to melt, they'll typically be glacial lakes sitting out in front of where the glacier is melting. Um, this is probably in the summertime. In the wintertime, this lake is more than likely going to be frozen. So just depending on location. Uh, this right here, this is located in the Cascade Range, so Washington. So you can think of like a major city in Washington is Seattle, if you've ever heard of Seattle. So it's going to be up in that area. So they have glaciers up in their mountains. Although, because of climate change and global warming, a lot of those glaciers are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So that's sort of one line of evidence that we know that climate change is going on. And we're going to talk more about that kind of stuff uh, during lecture and lab next week. Okay. So how do you turn snow into glacial ice? So this is a real general diagram. Um, so if you guys are familiar with snow, snow is precipitated in the form of a snowflake. And then from there, um, once it starts to compact, so you basically you have snow on top of snow, on top of snow, on top of snow. It turns into granular snow and then it's called, referred to as a fern when it starts to break down in little tiny bits. And then eventually it all consolidates and turns into glacial ice. The reason that this happens is because it keeps snowing on the glacier. It never melts, so it never actually gets warm enough to melt. And you get the snow piling on top of itself, and then it starts to like glue itself together from the weight of the overlying snow. Glaciers are typically um, hundreds of feet thick. So if you think of like a snow pile, that's literally like, you know, 750, 1,000 feet thick. You can almost imagine in your mind that the overlying snow will cause it to compact and turn into ice, okay? All right, uh, this is a picture, a schematic diagram. There's a lot of these in this lecture and in your book, um, just because, you know, it's a little bit probably hard to visualize since we don't live in an area that has glaciers. But basically what happens is when you're at higher elevations, this is where you're gonna get majority of your snowfall is gonna be up really high 
and um, it's considered to be the zone of accumulation. So that's essentially where most of, it's mostly snowing and then it starts to compact and then the weight of the glacier due to gravity causes the glacier to move down your mountain. So glaciers move. I didn't know if you guys knew that, but it's, it's actually, I think it's fascinating. Um, and then once you get down towards the bottom of the glacier, it, um, that's where the cracks start to form. And then um, eventually the glacier will begin to melt at the toe. Sometimes seasonal, sometimes not. Sometimes it's always melting. It just depends on like the local climatic conditions. And then from there, you're gonna have these rivers and braided streams coming off the edge of your glacier. I forgot to delete that. Okay, so the movement of a glacier. So this is a key concept to really understand about glaciers. When you're at the top of the glacier, it behaves brittily. So do you guys remember brittle and ductile deformation from the structural geology lab? If you remember that, um, this is a review of those concepts, but basically when you're sitting at the top of the glacier, it's gonna break into pieces. And that's why it forms crevasse splays, those cracks that are in the ice. Um, that's from the brittle deformation. Approximately 50 meters, which to get it in feet, you multiply it by three, so about 150 feet below the surface is when it starts to compact and the ice will start to flow, um, essentially like toothpaste flows. You can think of it that way. So it literally takes like 150 feet of overburden to cause the ice to begin to move. And that's simply by gravity. So it's actually, I think it's quite fascinating that ice when under pressure will move and it always will move down slope, down the hill towards a lower elevation. Here's a picture of that. So this is in meters over here on the left. You can see at the top of your glacier, you're gonna have these cracks or crevasses. And then there's this transition zone around 50 meters or 150 feet referred to as the brittle slash plastic transition. And that's essentially where the deformation down here is uh, becomes plastic. So it's bending instead of breaking. So flowing and bending and then breaking at the top. And then down here you have your bedrock down here at the bottom. All right, this is a picture. These photos are really old, um, sorry about that. But this is essentially a person. And here you have a crack and then this is a big crevasse splay opening up. So you can see that these crevasses are absolutely massive. Um, people who go on expeditions and do like hiking trips on these glaciers, these are the things that um, if they fall in those, I mean, it's like falling off of a cliff, like it'll kill them. It's very unlikely that um, they'll get rescued unless they're tied into a rope. So like a lot of times when you have teams of people going out here on expeditions, you're all going to be tied together with a single rope. And that's just in case someone falls in a crevasse play, the likelihood of them actually like dying and falling just, you know, is not much if you have like 20 people tied to a single rope or something like that. So there are some movies and documentaries that, you know, have people falling in these and stuff like that. So um, just something to be aware of. This one's in Alaska. Okay. So when the glacier moves, um, there is a surface... So there's a surface that separates the glacier from the underlying bedrock. And that movement is referred to as basal slip because the glacier is basically moving at the surface between bedrock and the glacier itself. 
And what happens is the water, so sometimes you'll get parts of the glacier that are melting a little bit, and the water that is at that surface acts as a lubricant that allows the glacier to flow down dip. You'll also notice that there's all these sediment grains. Um, those sediment grains often get picked up in the glacier. So you, sometimes you'll actually see the glacier looks kind of dirty when it's down at the very edge and it's starting to form a lake. And that's simply because these uh, bits of bedrock get picked up and incorporated into the overlying ice sheet. It's kind of like a bulldozer in a way. Like, you know how if you have a bulldozer and it goes over like grass or like a field that sometimes it'll scratch up the dirt with the with the snow. Well, you guys probably don't know if you're from here because you it's probably never snowed that much. But anyways, if you've lived in a place where there was snow, um, that would be like a similar comparison. All right. This is another example up here. So here you have your glacier. You have the brittle zone. You have the plastic zone where it behaves, it bends, it doesn't break. And then you have the underlying bedrock. And then here is going to be all the sediment. So the sediment is created from the glacier, like literally riding over and scraping the underlying bedrock. Okay. This is something I already slightly touched on. Um, this is just to reiterate that in order to make a glacier, you have uh, the zone of accumulation forming at the higher latitude. So this is where it's actually precipitating, it's snowing. You start to stack the snow on top of itself, and then it starts to move uh, ductally downhill. And then down towards the bottom is where you begin uh, the melting, the crevasse blaze, and then eventually you're gonna have um, a river coming out of the glacier, and then you're gonna have a pond or a lake, or this might even be the ocean. Um, and so it'll either be the ocean or a glacial lake, and then you're gonna have icebergs. So chunks of ice that are broken off of the, the glacier. I'm sure you guys are pretty familiar with what an iceberg is, okay? When you're thinking about glaciers, there are two different types. So this is important to know. The first type is called a valley or an alpine glacier. And that's uh, literally where you have glaciers that are bounded by valleys and they're sitting way up high in the mountains. So you can get these like in Colorado, in Washington, you can get them at lower latitudes, generally speaking, but high elevation. So you're way up in the mountains. The other type of glacier is known as an ice sheet or a continental glacier. So these are the really large ones. So the ones that cover like all of Antarctica and ones that cover all of Greenland. Okay, so they're just these massive ice sheets that cover an entire continent. So that's the main difference between the two. <coughs> One is gonna be up in the mountains, high latitude. The other type is gonna be at the poles. So typically near the North and the South Pole, okay? Uh, these are two pictures. So South Pole, you have the Antarctic uh, glacier sitting down here. This guy covers nearly almost the entire continent of Antarctica. It's greatly underexplored because of this ice sheet. And then we also have Greenland. So Greenland sits up way up north. It's in between essentially Canada and um, the United Kingdom. And then you have uh, like Iceland would be like over here. Iceland is kind of halfway in between. But here you can see that this guy covers up almost the entire continent. And then it's basically just along the coast that you have uh, land that's exposed. And that's essentially where people, people live in Greenland, not a lot of people, but apparently it's kind of an up and coming to tourist place. But there are people that live here. 
there are not people that live on Antarctica. If people go to Antarctica, it's for uh, science. So it's research. It's an international um, continent. So basically all the countries in the world have access to it. It's not owned by any particular person. Um, and then, so you get research groups and then you can also take like really awesome, super expensive expeditions like out of Peru and New Zealand. So they actually take these boats and they sail down and you do like a little tourist thing. Um, I've had some friends that have done it. It looks absolutely amazing, but it's like wicked expensive. Okay. So anyways, um, now we're going to discuss landforms that are created by glaciers. So because glaciers move and they scratch up the underlying bedrock and sediment, they actually carve and make shapes in the bedrock. So we're going to talk about those different shapes. Because when you look at the maps, you're going to actually be looking at some of those features on the maps. Um, the way in which they make the shapes is through two different mechanisms. Uh, the first one is they'll carve out shapes in the mountains based off of um, erosion or plucking. So that's the process that I explained before when you have a glacier that overrides the bedrock and then the underlying sediments get incorporated into the ice. So that's one mechanism. And then um, another mechanism that forms glacial topography or glacial landform is abrasion. And this is literally when you see bedrock that have scratches or grooves in it. And that is an indication that ice rode over it at some point. So you'll see these, um, you can see them like, like where I grew up, Wisconsin, you can see them in like New York, some of the higher latitudes. And that's referred to as glacial striations, the, the grooves or the scratches from the ice overriding the bedrock. Okay, this is an example of a striation. This is up in Alaska, and you can see here that um, the grooves, these, these lines right here, that's from ice overriding and scratching the rock. So it must have been like super, super hard and able to do, in order to do that. Ice would have been really thick and heavy. These are names of some of the other features. So the top one being a cirque, a tarn, um, an arctic, a horn, hanging valley, U-shaped valley, and a fjord. All of these examples, I think almost all of them are in your lab book with these really good diagrams. They're actually quite good in the book. Um, feel free to look at those when you're answering some of the questions. So what you're going to do is you'll look at the lab book and then you'll see these diagrams and it'll show you sort of the shape of them. And then you're going to look at the maps and see if you can kind of match the shape on the diagram to what you actually see on like real maps. And the maps are from Alaska. Um, the first map, Alaska. This one is Washington State. And then the last one is New York. So two... Alaska and Washington State have current glaciers, and then New York is um, glacial glaciers from 12,000 years ago, during the last ice age, okay? So we had a big ice age. It came down to about the Chicago level, maybe not quite that far, but. Okay, these are pictures of some of those features, so they're in your book, they're also here. Um, you can see, just going over some of them, um, cirques, that's these guys. You'll definitely see these features on the Alaska map. A horn is a pointed uh, peak, so that's from the glaciers carving it out. Um, let's see here. You'll have this down here, this glacial trough. That's a U-shaped valley. Uh, let's see here. What else? Yeah, those are sort of the main ones. I'd say those are the main ones to know.
All right, this is an example of a current uh, cirque. It's in northern Utah in the Uinta Range. If you ever have a chance to go up here, it's really, really beautiful. But essentially, these are sort of bowl-shaped depressions. This is a horn. This is in the Swiss Alps, so it's where you get a real jagged uh, peak. Also, if you have seen pictures from uh, Patagonia National Park uh, in, Ar in um, Argentina and places there, they also have uh, these horns. They're really, really dramatic and beautiful. This is a fjord, so you can think of a, um, like Norway. If you ever see photos of Norway, they always have these fjords, these big inlets of water with really steep valleys. Uh, really beautiful. I see all this stuff on Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, okay. All right. So this is just a couple more pictures. Okay. So now we're going to talk about deposits. So the first uh, ones were like the shapes that they carve rocks into. And then this is what they deposit. So all that sediment that gets ground up and incorporated into the bottom of the glacier, when the glacier melts, all that sediment is released and it forms uh, these type of deposits. Uh, sedimentary rock deposits. So um, any sediment that is of glacial origin is called glacial drift. And um, sometimes like you'll be looking at a conglomerate or gravel, you may not really know, um, you'd have to go to like some references and some publications in like a geologic map to know if you're dealing with glacial drift or not. If you can see the glacier, then you for sure know Okay, if you're up in Alaska and you see all these pebbles and cobbles and conglomerates, whatever, you're like, oh, okay, yep, that's for sure glacial drift. All right, so within that category, you can break it down into two different things. The first one being a till, and this is the material that's deposited directly by the ice, so we call it glacial till. And then the next one is stratified drift, and this is the sediment that comes down from the meltwater. So you melt the glacier and then that's all the sediment that comes out of the glacier. And the, strata, the stratified drift will form something occasionally called an end moraine. And that's basically gonna be a U-shaped pile of sediment that sits out on the very tip of the glacier. I think you have a question about that in your book. Okay, so here's the till. So you have the moraines, the drumlins, the erratics. So the moraines are what I just spoke to you guys about at the edge of the glacier. You can also have them along the side of the glacier. So if I draw a picture, so this is gonna be if you were looking at a glacier from the sky. So let's say you have a glacier right here. It's moving in this direction down. And then let's say you have another glacier right here that's also moving down. So a lot of times they'll be in like these little lobes the end moraine, so when you start to melt the edge of the glacier where the glacier is depositing, it'll deposit like this little dam of sediment. And that's referred to as the end moraine. You'll also have a sediment that gets caught up in between like the two different lobes. That'll be referred to as uh, the lateral moraine. Okay, so the side meaning lateral. And then um, the end moraine is at the end of the glacier. If you start to sort of build these things up, so if they start to actually form like a hill, they're gonna be real steep on one side and real gentle on another side. This is referred to as a drumlin. So if you ever go up to the Midwest, so like where I'm from, Wisconsin, um, these, all the hills are basically drumlins and that's all from this sort of process. 
two different lobes, glaciers moving side by side, or sediments sort of getting caught up underneath the glacier. Um, they will mine these. These are basically where all of our sand and gravel come from a lot of these type of deposits. So if you ever go to the Home Depot or whatever you want to build a sandbox, a sandbox for kids or you know whatever, um, a lot of the sand is actually coming out of these these features. So it's actually quite fascinating. So that's a, an industry. I actually have a friend back home I went to undergrad geology with. He works for a company where they are mining all these drumlins for different types of gravels that are used in construction, like whatever it is that you use gravel for, um, sand, even silt. It, act, it goes into making other materials. Some of it is actually, they send down here to Texas, um, the fracking that the, the petroleum industry does. Um, they use a lot of times sand to frack it. They'll use water if they have access to water, but if they don't have water, they'll use sand to frack open um, the oil wells. So that's, that's actually quite a big uh, business for some people. Okay, the last thing is an erratic. An erratic is simply where you have like a boulder sitting in the middle of nowhere. So if you go are ever in New York City and you go to Central Park, they have some glacial erratics in that park. So if you see just these big boulders kind of sitting around wherever, that would be a glacial erratic. So it's just a boulder in the middle of nowhere, not attached to a mountain. It almost looks like it was like artificially placed there or something like that. This is what the drumlins look like. So it's composed of the glacial till. And uh, depending on the type of drumlin, uh, it can be really well sorted. It can be poorly sorted. It just kind of depends. This is uh, a picture of it from the sky. Sorry, the photograph is really crappy. But you can see here that you have this like real gentle slope. And then you have more of a steep slope. And it's kind of shaped like, um, like a shoehorn. I don't know how else to really describe the shape. It's really interesting. It's not symmetrical. That's the key thing. You're actually, your map from New York, um, the features on those maps, all those hills are drumlins. And you'll be able to see the shapes on those maps. It's really quite cool. <laughs> this is a glacial erratic. So you can see there's literally like this boulder out in the middle of a field. It's not by a mountain. It's, there's no river. There's no really reason what for it to be there. And that's just simply a big boulder that would have dropped out of the ice sheet when it melted. All right, these are other types of depositional features that are associated with glaciers. Um, you can have cames. So this is essentially a steep hill of sand and gravel. So kind of similar to um, a drumlin. You can have eskers. These are ridges of under ice uh, river deposits. So it's under underneath the glacier you can get river deposits. It's really... These are kind of controversial. They're really hard to recognize within the geologic record. You kind of have to see it like actually happening to know that it's what it is. And then um, kettle lakes. So a lot of some of the lakes on these maps are going to be like real circular. They look similar to the sinkholes that you guys would have done on uh, Monday with the groundwater, the, the caves, the karst that's collapsing. Uh, kettle lakes have a similar type of feature. And basically what happens is you get a big chunk of ice that gets incorporated into the underlying ground and the dirt. And then once it melts, it creates a depression in the shape of the actual block of ice. So that's called the Kettle Lake. So if you ever wanna look at like a Google image of this, you can go to Kettle Moraine National Park in Wisconsin. If you zoom in on Google Earth or your Google Maps, and you'll see there's all these like little lakes, like they're like all over, they're like polka dots all over. And that's, um, they're thought to be Kettle Lakes. So you would have had all these blocks of ice, just massive blocks of ice, like the size of this building, 
They get buried in the sand and sediment from the overriding glacier, and then when they melt, they make a lake. And then you also get outwash plains. So that's going to be like the rivers and the gravel bars and all of that that you see out beyond the glacier itself. Okay, so these are all the features. I've, the diagrams in your book are better than this one, so I'll have you guys refer to your book. Um, and then I just want to remind you guys that... Um, the glaciers typically form in stages when you're looking back at geologic time. Um, there were four major glaciations during the Pleistocene epoch. So this would be like the latest one I think was 12 to 16,000 years ago. So not that long ago when you consider that the earth is 4.6 billion years old. These are the names of the glacial periods. So the first one was the Nebraska and then the, Can the Kansian, Illinoisan, and Wisconsin was the last one. Um, each advance of the glacier persisted for about 100,000 years, and then each interglacial episode of warming lasted several hundred thousand years. So it's sort of this cyclic thing where you form glaciers for 100,000 years, and then you go several hundred thousand years where they retreat and go back. And then 100,000 years later, you have more glaciers. So it's this thing that goes back and forth, back and forth, where they grow, and then they recede and melt for 100,000, 200,000 years, Okay. So it's just really important to know that they're cyclic. And the reason that's important is um, because the, the glaciations and then the interglaciations, that's, uh, we think it's controlled by um, the Milankovitch cycle. Um, let's see here if I have a picture of that, sorry. Yep, so this is, this is what we think controls it. Just, I'll post all that other stuff, but you don't need, you don't need the detail at the moment to do the lab. So, what we think um, happens is that basically the Milankovitch cycle is controlled by these three different things, or they have these three different attributes. So they go in cycles of approximately 100,000 years. The obliquity is 41,000 years, and the precession is 23,000 years. And basically the difference between those three things is the tilt and then the way in which it's spinning. So it's essentially how the earth is on its side, the tilt, how it's spinning, and then as the tilt is kind of wandering and moving around um, in the most simplest basic form. There's The lab also provides a good explanation of the Milankovitch cycle. But this is what we think prior to humans um, having like an influence on climate. So prior to that, this is what we think controlled um, greenhouse periods, that's warm periods where there's no glaciers and then ice house periods where there are glaciers. We'll talk a little bit more about this stuff next week when we talk about climate change and global warming because um, having a base knowledge of this is really good and that'll set you up to understand how humans have influenced um, global warming next week. Because I know it's a really hot topic, especially in the news. So I think it's really important that it's something that we actually spend some time and talk about so you guys actually get like science information and not um, political whatever, so. Okay, that's all that I have for you.